0: You've discovered the MindSpark Learning Podcast. Take education innovation wherever you go by subscribing to the podcast today. to the latest episode of MindSpark Learning's podcast. Today, we will be sitting down to talk with an incredible educator who is also a Samsung Salt for Tomorrow contest winner. I'm Victoria James, and I cannot wait to chat with this educator. We will be discussing her application, her winning project, as well as her experience with her students in her classroom and their experience with problem-based learning so we are really excited to bring you this incredible conversation be sure to check us out at mindspark.org and thanks for listening let's go ahead and begin Autumn, welcome to MindSpark Learning's podcast. We are so glad that you're here and you're able to chat with us. I will go ahead and turn it over to you just to briefly introduce yourself, what you teach, where your school is located, and then we'll go from there.
1: Okay, great. Um, My name is Autumn Dowdy, and I teach engineering. Um, I teach several different courses. I teach engineering design to freshmen, and then I also teach digital electronics ACDC electronics and manufacturing to juniors and seniors. Um, Our school's in Porter, Texas, which is about 30 minutes north of Houston, Texas. Awesome,
0: Texas in the house, love it, (laughs) love Texas. My parents lived there for about 10 years, Uh, lived in Houston actually for about 10 years before I was born.
1: Well, I'm lucky enough to um, teach in the district I graduated in. I grew up here, but then went into the Navy. And so coming back here to teach, you know, where I graduated is just really great to give back to the community.
0: Oh, wow. That is amazing. Tell me more about your career with the Navy.
1: I went to the Navy right out of high school, actually. I got recruited due to some good test scores and was a nuke in the Navy. And then after I left the Navy, I went into industry and actually worked um, at some of the oil companies here in Houston and, in engineering and then left industry to come teach engineering.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um... Lots of questions, or I guess lots of (laughs) follow-up questions. First of which is, what is a nuke?
1: (laughs) Oh, a nuke is one of the people who run the nuclear reactor on the aircraft carriers. And so that's basically what their job is. And there's different parts. I was the electrical part.
0: Okay. As somebody who knows basically nothing about (laughs) military operations, naval missions, and Tell us, yeah, walk us through what's, what's a, what is a day in the life or the day-to-day of a electrical nuke on a ship?
1: (laughs) Well, um, I didn't know anything about it either at 18. Um, Mm -hmm. I just knew that I wanted to travel and that I was strong in math and science, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, And so just the idea of, you know, being stationed on beaches, like the Navy recruiter said, you'll never be inland, you'll always be stationed by a beach, um, just sounded like a great opportunity. And so going to school for that at 18 was very different because since it's all confidential, um, how the Navy, the Naval reactors work. Um, The school, you could, you only learned inside the building. So you'd go in the building um, with nothing and all of your materials were there. And then when you left, you left with nothing. And so um, it was kind of nice, a different type of college experience because you weren't studying in your dorm and things like that. You know, you were only studying in the building and it's about two and a half years of training. And then when you actually go to um, your whatever designated ship me as a female it's only aircraft carriers but some of the males in my class um a lot of them went to submarines and so on the aircraft carrier though it's a lot different bowling alleys movie theaters you know lots of people um and on the the submarine some of my classmates would be you know underwater for three four months at a time so definitely different experiences depending um on where you get located. But on the aircraft carrier, what your job is, is you would take your shift and you would go down to the reactor and you have all of your gauges that you're watching um, and you're not allowed to have any personal items or materials or distractions because that's what you need to be doing. And so it's actually pretty boring, because there's never been a nuclear meltdown. (laughs) You know, those kinds of things don't happen, because you're trained (laughs) to make sure they don't happen. And so it's pretty boring. (laughs) So you do your shift, and you watch your gauges that hopefully never move, which they really never did. And then you um, have your free time besides that. So that's really what it's like. A lot of training that's super interesting. I love math and science. So I loved learning about something completely new. Um, the the um, training site is actually visually from the air. It's a nuclear reactor shape with like the rods and things. So it's kind of cool that they thought about that when they were doing the architecture for the training center. So, yeah, I mean... Without going into a lot of depth, that's basically what a lot of it is. Um, They actually have a a hard time retaining people because the civilian world offers so much more money for that um, really, you know, in-depth training that you get in the military. So I like that I have that background because in the classroom, I can really offer like, you know, a very diverse point of view for my students because I appreciate the military. I appreciate the college because I also went to college and, you know, in the civilian world, you know, getting my degrees there and, you know, I've also worked in industry. So whatever path of those three, my students want to take, then, you know, I'm able to help them with that.
0: Yeah, that is, wow. That is fascinating. I'm still just imagining, you know, what you just briefly described kind of what that would look like and what are you able to share? Like what, what, I mean, I imagine, I'm picturing you on a huge ship. Is that those big aircraft
1: carriers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because the the airplanes take off from the, I mean, that's what they're for, to carry the aircraft um, that can launch right off the ship. So yeah, it's very large. And what were some of the places that you were able to, to travel to? Well, that is the part that didn't happen for me, is I got assigned to a decommissioned ship and so it was getting taken apart so that some of those pieces can be used on the next ship. So basically that aircraft carrier I got assigned to was very old. And so it was already in its decommission stage. So unfortunately, the one main thing I wanted to do, I didn't get with the Navy, but I've done a lot of that since then.
0: <laughs> oh, I nice. So it remained, it sounds like it remained docked.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was okay. more just disassembling and things like that.
0: Wow. Okay. Still, though, I, I can only imagine it's it seems like a small something
1: like a small city or a small. It is. Yeah, that's exactly how they describe it is. It's a small city. Exactly. Wow. A lot of little inner things. And it's, you know, totally maintained on its own. You know, I mean, other because since it's, you know, run by a nuclear reactor, it's just, you know, it's self-sustaining that, that it can just, you know, be off the grid.
0: So then, um, thank you for walking us through that. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, how do you think your military career prepared you for
1: cl- the classroom? Um, I think that you just, you really grow it fast when you choose the military path. Um, I think it's also a lot of security too. I think that, you know, the fact that you know that you are going to get a deposit into your bank account every two weeks without fail, that that is you know, really good, especially coming from a low low income area that I teach in. And so, you know, just that one thing makes it an interesting, you know, opportunity for some of the students. You also are guaranteed to be fed, you know, have shelter, um, have clothing, even if it's just your uniform. And so that's something that some of my students don't have. They don't have those securities. And so, you know, that is an opportunity for some of them, especially when they have, you know, families that have just, you know, immense financial struggles, that it's something that they can go and get free training. And if they choose to stay in, they can, or they can just enlist long enough to get, you know, an education. But there's also so many scholarship opportunities too. But I know that some of my students, that's the reason that they choose the military is just for that security and knowing that, they aren't going to have to worry about anything while they're in there. And I think that in that, it also, you know, it allows you to mess up. If you spend, I, you know, I would have, you know, classmates and things spend every penny the first day they got their check because they never had money and we're young and we're new. And, and even if you spend every dime, you still have a place to sleep. You still can go, you know, down to, you know, the mess hall and eat. And so, it's, it's a nice, like, cushioned way, you know, to grow up. But there's also that danger, I mean, of war and of getting stationed somewhere. So, I mean, it's not a guarantee, you know, that you're not going to have, you know, put yourself in some dangerous situation. So it's definitely not something that should be equaled like college. It's not. But for some students, it's worth that to them, you know, to choose that opportunity.
0: Yeah. I definitely have taught over the years some students who... Yeah, who've struggled being unhoused, or their families are unhoused, or struggled with, with food insecurity, or their family members did. That definitely uh, is an important point to make that the military can be that option sometimes. That stability, that consistency, structure, support.
1: Yeah, and I definitely don't. I don't promote any of the three in my class. I in my class, I actually have this big bulletin board on my wall, and it shows like it's cut into thirds, and it shows those those three paths. Military career um, and college, and I I hold them equally in my class. And if they want to know more about one or the other, then I do. But I never like say this one's better than that one. You know, everyone is different. And so I'm definitely I don't necessarily invite recruiters to my room or anything like that. But if a student knows that I am a veteran, they're much more likely to come up. Like we have a really active ROTC program. And that teacher will send female students to me all the time to ask about what were my experiences, because some of them are nervous being a female going into the military. And they may just want to know what, you know, were there any kind of things that, you know, I dealt with or, you know, think questions that they might have. And so, you know, I'm willing to talk to any students just so that they, I'm just all about them being informed. You know, that information is just, that's what the students need. They need to know what it's really like in college, or what it's really like in the job market, or, you know, that's what I try to really do is just connect them to people in the industry that they want to go in, so that they can really make sure they're making the right decision before they go and spend a lot of money on the wrong one. Like, I don't want them to be the kid that goes to college, and then a year later changes their degree because they didn't know something. Now, if they find out new things, and change that's different, but I don't want them to get there and be like, Miss Dowdy, this isn't anything like you said it was, you know, I want them to really know exactly if they choose mechanical engineering, you know, at a four-year university, what does that look like? What is mechanical engineering versus something else? And so that's just what I just really try to just empower them with what the real world really looks like. What, you know, what do those steps that they're choosing look like five years from now?
0: Yeah, that is so, that is so powerful. Um, because, yeah, we know that sometimes students they just the timeline is such you know you, you, some students don't have two years to to spend in higher ed figuring it out. Um, nor nor do they maybe want to. Um, if you know there are other commitments, financial or otherwise, um, they want to get moving, get moving with their career opportunities and and development. Um, that That makes me think of just like kind of the power of problem based learning of PBL and how it provides students with you know, hands-on, discipline-specific, authentic experiences to solve real problems. Can you talk us through a little bit, what was your experience like working with PBL specifically with your students in your classroom?
1: Well, the curriculum that I'm trained with that our district buys is Project Lead the Way, and they are a project-based curriculum. So we start with just um, activities for a unit, and then those always culminate into a project at the end. But so, what I do with that to just really kind of have it feel like the whole project based learning is I like to introduce that problem first so that they know what our goal is, what our endpoint is. Um, and I absolutely love to try to find things in our own community because Houston is so diverse culturally. Um, and also just even with us having the ship channel, like there's a lot of trade, there's a lot of industry. Um, we also have a pretty low cost of living. So it's it's a really interesting place to think about. But we also have hurricanes, we have flooding, you know, we have lots of problems, too, when you, when you are trying to mix all that diversity. And when, you know, you have students and there's 25 different languages that, you know, some teachers have that their students speak, you know, in different parts of Houston. And so it's, you know, it's such a melting pot that it makes for great different projects that we can do based on our own community, Um, rather than if the lesson, you know, that we're supposed to give is talking about avalanches that has nothing to do with us or tsunamis. My students don't even know what a tsunami is, but if I just change that and talk about hurricanes, then they're much more invested and involved and they all have stories of what happened during this one or what, you know, their family or their friend. And so When they get that buy-in that we're discussing, you know, a new, you know, preventative device for hurricanes, they're really interested in it because they see the value this can have on people that they know and care about, as opposed to, you know, us learning about something that is completely in a different part of the world, you know, or country. So that's what I love about project-based learning is you can really take those problems that your students know about, that they care about, and then, teach them all the teaks and teach them all the little, you know, things in the curriculum you have to hit. But you, any teacher that, you know, uses project-based learning can try to do that. They can try to make it so that the over-encompassing project you're talking about can just hit all of those little points, however you, you know, choose to put them inside of it.
0: That makes so much sense. And I love how you you say you know you can change maybe one or two things, elements of a problem, and it becomes immediately becomes hyper localized. You know it it has it has impact and meaning to students exactly
1: where they are. And that's what we've got to do because the the students these days, you know they we talk about their attention spans and that I think adult attention spans are getting shorter too. We're just as addicted, <laughs> as, you know, these devices and these things as our students are, and so we have to just embrace that, you know, we just need to embrace the things that are interesting them and see why they're interesting them. And then, you know, pull that, just kind of pull that into the classroom with them because they, they want to be interested in what your lesson is about. And sometimes you're on a topic that just isn't that interesting. And sometimes you just have to put it to them on, you know, How can we make this relevant? Like, what does this have to do with, you know, anything in our community? And sometimes they're the ones that make the connection for you. And then you can just run with it. You know, sometimes I try to think about how I can make this more relevant. And sometimes it's just a skill they have to learn. And so we just learn it. But I do try to make a point to make as much as I can about, and since I teach engineering, it's definitely more open to that, you know, like I may have to teach them how to use a tool, but there's so many ways you can use a tool and produce different things that that part, you know, gets easier, Um, you know, for the students, like if it's something that they're interested in or something that is, you know, dependent in our community, you know, to make it relevant for them.
0: No, I I remember sometimes tasking students with Obviously, with the right scaffolding, you know, they tasking them with running or facilitating our Socratic seminars, and they were oftentimes, you know, tougher, tougher on each other than perhaps, you know, I would have been with their questions with their specific follow up, follow up asks or or assessments, they, they really Leaned into that experience.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, they'll definitely play devil's advocate on something that they agree <laughs> with, but they just want to put their classmate on the spot to think of the other way. And yeah, they definitely um, can get way more involved than you expect.
0: And if anything, they have you found that in some ways, yeah, sometimes maybe the most, some of the most disengaged students, when they're tasked with a really engaging, rigorous assignment, be it in a PBL, be it in a, in
1: a different task, you know, they really rise to the occasion just because it is so interesting to them and so engaging. Oh, definitely. I mean, there are definitely students that if it's not challenging them, then they're tuning out. And so it's trying to find that balance though of making it hard enough so that it's challenging. Like I definitely am someone who tells the students on day one, I'm not a fan of busy work. If I'm giving you this assignment or task, It's because it's important and engineering is all about building blocks. And if you don't put all your building blocks, you know, it's just going to crumble. And I don't, I don't give them just worksheets for no reason. I don't, you know, I don't like to do that because I tell them that our time in class is valuable. And if we're busy doing busy work all the time, it's taking away from all the other things we could be doing. But at the same time, I think that that lets them know that, you know, Like if they don't do something before I let them go to the next part, I make them go back and do that. And so some teachers don't do that, you know, and so it's just a learning experience just like for my environment in class that they realize that if they just start to tune in on step six, they don't get to just start at step six because they don't have any information for step six. And that's what project-based learning is about. You can't step into the end it's a whole project. So you have to start at the beginning and find the problems and then start building, you know, on your solution the whole way.
0: Yes. And see it through. And maybe the path you were on thought was going to work. The solution you were building, you know, seemed great until you had a huge snag and maybe some, yeah, some obstacle is revealed to the team that, oh, we got to go back to the drawing board.
1: Exactly. If they missed a constraint or something like that, or they used an item that, you know, isn't on the list that they could use, or it wasn't in the budget, then they have to go back. And that's what's so great, because some of their learning up until eighth grade was they did do a lot of brainstorming, and they would do a lot of drawing, you know, for different classes, but they didn't do the building part. And so until they do that part, which doesn't come really for my students until high school, that's when they realize that, you know, a lot of their preconceptions don't actually work that way. And that when they build it that way, and then they'll be like, well, why did you let us do this if you didn't know it was going to work? I'm like, because now you won't do it again. Like, I'm just facilitating, I'm just facilitating you learning and you just learn something new that that doesn't work. So it's definitely, you know, Hands-on, I just love. I mean, I couldn't be in a classroom that wasn't hands-on. I'm I'm a hands-on person for sure. And so just being able to let them, you know, like you said, figure out that that doesn't work, that never happens if you are just teaching little tidbits until you have them put together a whole idea and run into the problems that real people and engineers and, you know, other fields are running into, they don't really get the full picture yet until they have, they fail. So they make mistakes and fail and then realize how some of the things, you know, that we use every day failed a hundred times. You know, I have little things like that on the wall of like how many times, you know, Disney failed before it became big and Starbucks and all these big companies and, you know, really putting things about the the engineers and the designers and people behind the scenes. And it was a struggle. They didn't just think of that. You know, it wasn't the first time somebody made an app or somebody did this and it was huge, you know, and even people who go viral once, sometimes they can never go viral again, you know, with their app or with their, you know, game. So it's just good for them to see that it's the hard work. You know, that is the learning part. You know, that's the greatest part of our projects is when we're actually doing the work.
0: Yeah, and perhaps some of the the biggest lessons they learn, like you said, are along the way. Um, you know, when it's time to to turn turn in turn in the assignment or you know submit the final the final you know product that maybe the highlights from their experience are going to be you know on that journey not on the very last day of the quarter or the or the timeline of the assignment
1: right and like those kids you you know you talked about that that might check out they might be great with their hands i mean i've had students that their reading level mm-hmm. was extremely low but they had grown up around mm-hmm. tools and around things and so when they would do group work sometimes those students are the ones that made that whole group shine because they knew how to build something. And they understood when they were taking something apart, they were amazing at reverse engineering. And so sometimes kids suddenly were valued that hadn't been valued before. And suddenly people want them on their team when no one maybe has ever wanted them on their team because in that kind of environment where it's hands-on, It's not just the smartest person. We don't need five people who are great at math. We need a couple of people who are great at math, but we need some problem solvers and we need a manager. Sometimes you've got too many chiefs in one little group and they don't get anything accomplished because no one wants to compromise. So, you know, doing group work, sometimes for teachers, there's different ways different teachers use group work. I mean, sometimes they group you know, and there's so many different philosophies on how you should group your students. You know, I mean, teachers could talk all day about how they group and why it's the best way. And I mean, there's, I, I do it different ways. You know, I love to try out any kind of a new idea that I have, but I mean, those personalities getting to mix is what's good for the students. I mean, I let them pick groups. Sometimes I assign groups sometimes, you know, sometimes I put all of my, you know, you don't want to say the word, but slackers, you know, put them together because then someone has got to step up, you know, and someone's got to do something. And sometimes I let all the ones that are super passionate about it work together because then they get to feed off of each other. And so just them getting that experience to, you know, work with different students, it's not the same as just, okay, let's all do a PowerPoint together. And it usually ends up being the person who's the best graphically or the hardest worker that does a majority. And sometimes no one does anything, you know, with, with my ability to be an engineering teacher, I get to actually have designated roles for people because someone can be doing hands-on or presenting or, you know, doing the sketching and sketching is super important in engineering. And so even students that have no drawing ability, we've got to find ability there. And so, you know, they, They start to have to do things that they normally wouldn't choose to do, and then they find strengths that they didn't realize they had, you know, by just being able to change that, you know, that group dynamic and doing problem-based learning as groups is just the best way because then they get to actually figure out their strengths and weaknesses and that's what our students have to do in high school. They've got to figure out what they're good at because they're about to go in the real world and it's a disservice to them if they graduate and walk across that stage and they still don't know what they're good at, you know. And sometimes soft skills are are a strength that students don't think is even good enough to write on a resume. They'll I'll be helping them write resumes and just saying I'm like, "Well, you need to put that you're a great team leader." And they're like, "What?" I don't, you don't, that's not what you put on a resume. I'm like, that's exactly what you put. That's a strength. I wouldn't tell every student to put that. I wouldn't tell you to put that you're organized because you're not, (laughs) you know, (laughs) so that's a place where you're, you are picking things because they don't know you and they're going to talk to you for five minutes, you know, at an interview and you know, you want to put things that, you know, make them realize that that's what they're looking for, because that's what they have down are a few words like that. We want an innovator. We want a team leader. We want, you know, someone who's a, who's a team player. And so you want to hit those keywords, but sometimes they don't even think that that is a value, you know, that they have, you know, and some kids are amazing no matter what group you put them in. You know, they they get along with everybody and they can pull out what people are good at and then make their team better. And that's a skill that not everyone has. So sometimes it's just telling them what they're good at, you know, that is going to help prepare them for the future too.
0: Oh my gosh, Autumn, I love the point you just made about how PBL, right? We, you know, maybe somebody who's learning about it for the first time or, or stumbles upon, you know, Samsung Solve for Tomorrow contest. And, you know, is like, oh, well, this seems very STEM centered or STEM focused, which, one would hope no one would shy away from it in that sense or think like, oh, but maybe I teach humanities or something along those lines. But the power that PBL has to help students cultivate those soft skills, like you said, like you know, developing leadership, developing strategic communication, collaboration, those, those very, very important. And I love, I think, um, I've heard, in addition to them being called soft skills, I've heard them referred to, I think, Simon Sinek in a video recently called them human skills (laughs) and, and how, you know, companies are continuously saying they really need and are searching for people who have these skills. But if our students are only really, you know, perhaps completing standardized, individualized standardized assessments or very rarely engaging in group work, it's hard to cultivate those skills in this day and age.
1: Absolutely. We were just talking about that at this professional development I did because it was with other teachers who teach the same thing as me. And when we're in our groups, that's so great when you get to team build with other teachers which is, you know, something I've gotten to experience with MindSpark, which I absolutely love, because when you're talking with other educators, you know, that's who is kind of the boots on the floor. You know, that's who's with the students every day, and so we get to see, you know, the changes in the classroom and what they need. And for instance, some students don't know the difference between business casual, you know, and casual or business or you know. Um, just even those kinds of little things like that. And they also, we have employers, because we try to invite industry in the classroom, saying, you know, that they'll get applications and students are using, you know, acronyms that you would use on a text message, you know, it's that they don't know how to email. And they, it's those kind of things that we maybe grew up with, you know, here is how you would be formal and here versus informal. And so there's so many things in the classroom to just kind of make part of the lesson without it being the lesson that the students don't realize, you know, pick your favorite invention. Okay. Let's write to that person and tell them why you like it or pick your favorite app. We're going to write, you know, to the programmer or something like that so that they're having to do some of those skills because that is definitely what industry is saying is there that our students are unprepared in ways that they've never been unprepared in past previous times, but they also have skills that past generations never had either. So it's a balance of them knowing all this new stuff, but we can't forget, you know, some of the older things that are important.
0: Yeah, definitely. And perhaps certain elements of, you know, the future of work might become automated. However, being able to stand up in front of investors and pitch a startup idea or a product or a service, or, you know, standing in front of uh, a crowd of people at a conference delivering, you know, their, their research that, that takes practice, right? Some people it comes, you know, maybe public speaking or negotiation comes naturally, but for most of us, that takes, you know, that takes quite a bit of practice to build that confidence.
1: And, you know, and that's what, that is exactly what um, CTE teachers, career and technical teachers are thinking about right now is how can we prepare our students, you know, for that portion, because a lot of our students are going in industry or they're going in college. Um, And those are the two, you know, main tracks that our classes are preparing them for. And one of the other teachers last week said that her student is the one who came up with dress up Tuesdays. So now at their campus, The students, like, um, in the career and tech classes, they they do casual business on Tuesdays, and it's just to get them, you know, more practice on if I were going to go and pitch or if I were going to go and do this, what kind, what should I even wear to this? Because the students may not have ever thought about what they wore, you know, to something before, and it's definitely not officially covered in any class, and some of them don't come from the home life that even know that, you know, some... Parents in our communities aren't sure, you know, when it'll say, you know, I don't know, business casual or something for like our honors banquet or something like that. You know, you definitely have some people coming in, you know, in a sequin dress and someone else in jeans and a T-shirt, you know, so it's definitely, you know, something that like community wide, we see that this is something that we have to step in and, and help the students with. And we've also noted, like, a really big rise in, like, um, the internships posted and job postings for, like, ethical. They want to see, like, that the students understand, like, ethical liabilities. So that could be something electronic. It could be something environmental. But they're wanting to see um, examples of that from the students. In fact, something we were – the the data they gave us during the class, it was over 300 percent – increase in them looking for, you know, ethical examples. And so that's something that prog- pro- project-based learning is great for because that's what our students are looking at is like problems in the community and problems, you know, in the world and solving them. and. Ever, and ethics definitely comes into that, you know, we can't just go put cameras in people's backyards, you know, there's certain lines we can't cross. And so that gets addressed when you're creating, you know, a problem, like solution.
0: That's such a great point. I'm so glad you highlighted that because, right, we're having as a society, you know, the the national discourse around ethics as they pertain to artificial intelligence. These are really some important aspects
1: and, you know, nobody knows the answer. Nobody's built these things before. Exactly. And that's what's so exciting in the class is that there is no real answer yet. And you have students going, well, yeah, it's fine that all my apps know where I'm at, where other students are like, I don't have my location turned on anything. Why? You know, and it really turns into their personal choices because, you know, I tell them you're the ones that are going to be making these decisions for us you're about to enter the job market and you're going to be the one deciding if is this okay or is this not okay? So, you know, it's really great to pull ethics into it. And even, um, when we were virtual this year and it was so different and not being able to be hands-on and I was having to look for new things you know for the students to see and one of the first things that I found was this TED talk and it talked about 3D printing organs and I thought oh well this is great to introduce my freshmen because normally we'd be 3D printing so we can at least talk about it things that they may not even know exist and I just put it as a discussion on our class and it went on for weeks like they were so invested in it because I asked some ethical questions and I got them off the TED talk I I didn't even come up with them myself. I love resources that are great out there that we can just grab and utilize. And one of them was like, okay, well, if you have this, you know, 3D printed organ and you have two patients and one was, you know, a child and one was, um, and I I think it gave like a, you know, a 70 year old woman versus like a seven year old little boy or something who should get the organ. And I mean, that whole discussion blew up. And it was so interesting just to see, you know, their generation's viewpoint on, who should have it or why, or why, you know, why they couldn't make the decision or how some were just definitely. And so I think bringing ethics into our classroom where it's relevant to what we're teaching about is just like really just um, eye opening just as us as educators, you know, to really kind of get into their real thoughts and, you know, just really have that on their mind, you know, have them thinking about the implications of, what it is that, you know, they may be designing and making in their lifetime and like what kind of things they're going to have to think about that they may not want to have to think about.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then if you could, I mean, Porter High School's submission was so incredible. If you could just briefly uh, walk us through it, remind us.
1: Sure. Um, So Samsung's question that they ask for their project is the same every year, which I love because once like the student's. Get involved with it, they can always be thinking over summers. And so you see some of these schools that have done well, you know, over the years, it's great because their students get to think about that same question, which is what is a problem in your school community? And then how can you use STEM um, to create a solution for that problem? So I just love that it's really making the kids think about problems, you know, just that are right here that involve people that we know and care about. And it totally works because I only found the Samsung project last year and even throughout, um, the year and this year, students will say, you know what I was thinking about? We were in all this traffic on the way to school this morning. And I'm like, that's another problem we need to fix. And they they feel suddenly invested that they can fix problems that we have right here, you know, or they'll say, you know, they're always having these accidents by my house. And, you know, I think that we should call and tell them to look at that light. And so it's like they suddenly, you know, by participating in this contest and especially, As we kept advancing and, you know, talked to different professionals and were given access to different things that I didn't know as an educator existed, they suddenly don't feel like it's crazy to contact local law enforcement for something or to, I mean, last year my students got to talk with uh, FBI agents, undercover police officers, because we were doing um, human trafficking as our project. And never would I have thought that I would be on a Zoom call with FBI agents in my classroom. And just the fact that that happened spread like wildfire to other students. And so then they saw that it's like, we're doing real stuff. This isn't just a, a worksheet that you do and get the grade and then it gets tossed out. It's like, we're really like researching and trying to fix something. And so this year... I posed the same question across all my classes that Samsung gave, which is what is a problem in your school community. And so dozens of different topics, you know, came up. And so, you know, we talked about the project itself and what like future things we would have to show. And the great thing about Samsung is they have a rubric. And I love rubrics because it lets the students see this is what's important. And so when they get off track or, you know, in left field, it's like, okay, well, let's look at the rubric. I think that would be great for us to do. And I think it would be, you know, really interesting, but is it actually going to affect point wise? Is it actually going to um, help us? And so, By looking at the rubric before we even concretely picked our actual project, we were able to throw out a lot of projects that way because one of the big things that Samsung um, wants to know is how did this impact your community? And that is amazing for my engineering students to have to think about because they have to be able to prove that it made an impact. And we talk about that all the time in class. Anyone can come up with a good idea, but it's actually making it and making it work. Like there's plenty of great ideas that people can't get to work. So we have to pick something that we know we can actually do in one school year and be able to complete early enough to have comparison data to show that it made an impact. And I feel like that was something that we um, struggled with the previous year. We had a great idea. We made it work, but we couldn't show if we were actually helping human trafficking. You know that was, and so that's what really made me think this year when we were down to maybe three or four, um, you know, kind of ideas. It really was going to be hard to show the impact of any one of those ideas. And so what we ended up doing was taking two of those ideas, merging them, and kind of coming up with a new idea. That we could look at the rubric and felt like we could actually be successful at. And so what those two things were, was I had one group um, that were really focused on depression. And we also thought, do we want to think about COVID, the new problems with COVID? Or do we want to pick a problem that, you know, had already existed? And the students all across all my classes definitely wanted to focus on COVID related problems. How has COVID changed our lives? And so depression was definitely one that came up. In a lot of my classes, because they had classmates that they felt like were getting depressed. They definitely, you know, were not feeling their normal. We didn't have pep rallies, we didn't have so many normal things happening for them. And especially, for my juniors and seniors, it's their final, you know, part of high school and they're missing out and the freshmen aren't getting that new experience. You know, they've heard is how amazing it's going to be when they get to high school and now they're here, but they're not really here. (laughs) They're virtual. And so they weren't getting any of that. And so they definitely wanted to think about that. And they also had, you know, parents depressed if they had lost jobs, everyone, you know, there was a stress of getting elderly family sick. So, Depression was high on the list. And so what one group wanted was to have access to um, different therapy sessions for their classmates. They said that they they felt like some of the classmates had talked to their parents and said, you know, I'm that they were feeling depressed or, you know, or worse and that the parents were just kind of some parents we kind of blowing it off in their own words. You know, they're not taking them seriously and I'm really worried about them. And so it was just this whole extra layer of COVID that, you know, really, I don't feel like, I mean, it's been discussed, but not like, not in that way that it's like, put yourself in these kids' shoes that have friends that they feel are depressed and yet can't get help and they feel helpless. So then, you know, that's affecting them too, is just how their friend's demeanor has changed. And that's, that's their world in high school is their friends. I mean, that's, that's definitely um, super impacting them. So they wanted to try to get therapists to donate time for these students that couldn't get help anywhere else. And whereas that's a great idea and, and so thoughtful of them, Therapists are already inundated with their own patients that are worse, along with new patients, and they're doing sessions from home. And I just felt that that was going to be really difficult for us to actually find therapists to donate time and to actually take on the liability of students talking with therapists, you know, and we're still going to have to get, obviously, parental support. And it just had a lot of extra things that I didn't think we could really Handle in the classroom, but I didn't want I didn't want that to go unnoticed. That depression is a super big problem that was happening with COVID. And the other another group had um, a teacher at our school that had um her husband was getting home health care for some different issues that he had, and when COVID happened, they could no longer come to the house to give him those um, those different therapies he needed, and he was going to have to go into an assisted living, and he was at Um, a really advanced stage in what was wrong with him. And so by going into that facility, she was not going to get to see him face-to-face just through a window. And he was, you know, too advanced in his problems that he wouldn't have been able to zoom or do something like that with her. So she went from being able to care for him at home to having to make that decision and obviously was distraught in class. And when some of the students found out why from her, um, they just Really wanted to help her, and you know, they didn't know how, and they didn't even realize that you know, if they didn't have someone it was affecting personally, they didn't even know these things were happening. And so, when those students, you know, shared that problem, then the students um, really wanted to work on that project, and they wanted to do like a life alert that we could pass out to the elderly in our. Um, neighborhoods and let them know things about like Meals on Wheels and things that they wouldn't previously have needed, but maybe now they need and let them know that those things exist. So again, a great idea, but how are we going to show a lot of impact? It seemed like a lot of very personal data, you know, with people's incomes and medical difficulties and home health organizations. And I just felt that HIPAA was going to be a very big um, problem to help us with the impact. And so in the end, we decided to think about people who are depressed in our community. And then the elderly is someone who they felt were really getting hit the hardest because they couldn't see grandkids. And so many of them hadn't seen their grandparents, you know, in months. And so that became who we wanted to focus on. So then we went to the CDC and said, okay, how can we help depression? And the first two things it said was, um, taught, "What did it say?" Now that I have to think about it, it said um, connecting with your community, and then it said um, interactions with others. And so the students said, "This we can do. We can interact with them, and we can, you know, connect with parts of the community." And so we decided, "Okay, now we want to focus on the elderly." And we want to interact with them. And so the students said, well, we can make um, games to interact with them that, you know, we can play over the phone or over a tablet. We could make an app and we could have a leaderboard so that they get really invested, you know, if they want to be competitive and that'll help us socialize. And we can have music days and we'll play our instruments and we'll have exercise like sit and be fit. And we'll have some athletic students do that. And we can have the choir come and, you know, take requests for songs. But then it was like, okay, now how are we going to reach our elderly? And so we thought about the different elderly that we have. And when we started looking at assisted living facilities, the students found out, well, they're not going to the dining hall to eat. They're not leaving their rooms. And some, not all, have TVs, but some don't even have TVs. So what are they doing in that room? And then they you know, said, we're just playing on our phones all the time, but what if they don't play on their phones? What if they don't have phones? And so they just took a real, um, just a very serious involvement in like all of these assisted living in the area. And so we decided that's who we're going to focus on. That's going to be our stakeholders are these residents that are in facilities right here in our neighborhood related to our own students. Um, and we thought at first we'll invite all of them, but then um, I said let's just start with one, and we'll add, you know, as we feel comfortable because we want to be successful. If we start too big, you know, there's a lot of different companies and things we've talked about that start big and then they're not successful because it's so much that you know you don't get to figure out where your problems are, and so when you compete in Samsung, if you advance at all, then you're able to get um, a free membership to nepris.com. And what they do is connect you with industry leaders. And so I immediately, um, when we had kind of figured out what we wanted to do, that was the first step I took in just kind of helping the students like understand the feasibility of what they wanted to do. So before we even contacted facilities, Um, I got on Nepris. I gave kind of the outline of what we wanted to do, which is have one-on-one slots each day that like the students could, um, have someone at the facility sign up like their neediest patients that might need just a one-on-one conversation with a student and then have just like a group room where they were doing like the music day or the art day or whatever day. And then, um, then they were going to have these games. And so it was going to be just, you know, kind of a huge thing, lots of different layers, um, to it. They also wanted to have a calendar so that the people could link and go straight to different, um, like if the choir was having a concert or different things like that, that since they couldn't leave to go see them, they could still see their grandkids or see, you know, different school events that were happening. Cause they were getting recorded and put on YouTube, but, that generation isn't as tech savvy. And so the students worried. Well, what if they can't even get to where they're being posted? Let's make it easy and we'll put all the different things on one calendar. Well, so with Nepris, we were able to get connected, I think the same day or the next day, to someone who had made an app during COVID that let people play games distance wise, which was one aspect of what they wanted to do. And it was wonderful because that particular person Had a background. He had designed the voting app for the Oscars. Like he had a lot of, you know, really good past projects that super impressed the students. So they really believed everything that this person said because they were actually, you know, an industry professional and not just their teacher. And so he talked to them about feasibility because feasibility and originality are big aspects of the Samsung contest as well. And he talked to them about all the apps that he had made previously and spent so much time on all of these other things that didn't even make it to the final thing. And he said, the best thing they could do is get it into the people that they want to use it, get it into their hands. And that is where it would grow. And he said, you just need bare bones, get a skeleton of what you want to do, find out your absolute main focus. Like if you only could have one piece, what do you want to have? Start there. And then add what you want to add from there. He said, because that is one thing he realized is a lot of times you assume what your user wants or what they're going to like. And it may not even be that. And he said, if you're under time constraints, which in a school year we are, I don't see them every day, all the time. um, He said that that is what his advice would be. And so even though the students were so hooked on all of these other parts they wanted to do, they did exactly what he said, like as soon as that conversation, you know, we clicked off the zoom, you know, they said, we've got to start over. We've got to figure out. And so that is, that took so much of a normal process out for them, which was great Um, because then they said, the one thing we want to do is talk with these people because it says interaction. And that's what we want to focus on is what the CD said really can help this isolation induced depression that we want to focus on. And so, once they decided if we can't if we can only do one thing we want to talk with them that's where we decided to start we're just going to start with being able to have conversations with them and so we um, decided let's not do the games yet let's not do the leaderboard and the calendar well we'll do a calendar but just on like when sessions we're going to be. And we decided, well, we'll do them before school and after school, because that'll be really easy for the students. And we'll sign up for sessions and this and that. So we decided we'll we'll start with one facility. We'll go from there. So we started calling facilities and a lot of them had mainly um, dementia patients. And they said, it sounds great, but we're not going to be the right fit because our patients aren't going to get out what you're trying to help them with. You know, They don't necessarily have isolation induced depression, they're depressed, and they have a lot of issues from it. But we don't know if this, you know, we just don't think this would be the right program for them. So then the students realized that it's like, they can't even help everyone, you know, this is their niche was getting smaller and smaller, you know, on, on who, and they were, you know, just realizing a lot about the elderly community, you know, that maybe we didn't know before. So we um, ended up getting our facility, one right beside the school, right near us. I mean, it's just a couple of miles away. And actually, we had several different students that had heard about the program from that part, that side of it and said, are we doing something like where my grandma is or grandpa? So that was really cool that they were like, I can't believe my classmates, you know, are talking to my grandma, like, you know, it was just that's what's so amazing about community projects that you're never going to see on a big scale. And so, um, you know, we started with that facility and that is where the most growth happened because the morning at the before and after school didn't work so much didn't work. Like they said, well, that's when we eat breakfast and dinner. And so we, then we were like, okay, we're going to have to do it during school. So that completely changed. And it was just, it, it showed them that what that um, industry professional on Nepris told us was exactly the truth. If we had kept planning and planning, we wouldn't have ever gotten started and had growth that we had because we would have been doing the planning stage way too long. So we found out, okay, well, that whole morning and afternoon schedule that we were going to make is totally not going to work. And then we said, okay, well, how many, um, residents in your facility have tablets because we knew we were going to have to donate get donations for everyone who didn't and they said zero not a single resident has a tablet so then now we're we're you know back again and so if those students had not had this experience they would think everything's easy and so now those same students when another student talks about a project they take it very seriously. And they're like, well, you're going to have to think about this and you're going to have to think about this. And they grew so much. And my group was that it was just amazing. Like I can't wait to see what those freshmen do in their next three years because they have a realistic point of view now that they would never have had. If we didn't really do this project, if we had just thought about it, we never would have gotten past the stage of, morning and afternoon sessions and games and leaderboards and all of this extra stuff. And we would have lost the root of what, you know, let us help people like we did. And so Now, um, now we knew we had to get tablets. And so now they had to start doing presentations. So we presented over Zoom, we presented to the school board. You know, we did as much as we could during COVID um, to let our community know we need some tablets for the elderly, you know, people in our facility we're picking. And we are going to take those tablets and set them up. And so in the end, um, I guess to kind of wrap us up, because I can talk about our project <laughs> forever, um, <laughs> it, they ended up, we got donations for tablets, we individualized them. So as the students began, and they were very nervous to do their first talk, because it was fun to think of this project. But when I said, okay, guys, today's the day, we are going to start our sessions, the activity director at the facility had one iPad, her own personal one. And that's what we started with. Just, you know, it was really like a grassroots type project. So we had the students at school. She had one iPad. She would take it to the room, set them up. One student would have, you know, a session. And then when she went to a new room, a different student would jump in and they would do the next patient. And so talking with her too, she said that the church had tried Zooming during COVID. And she said that while they had great intentions, it was very stressful on her residents because they were having to talk to different people all the time. And that's not something that they were they were enjoying. And so she said, we should like have each student match. And so we developed the adopt a resident program. And so each resident was adopted by a student. And that is who they mainly talk to unless they were having a really bad day. Then they might jump in and talk to someone else, but they felt comfortable already because they had already had multiple times that they talked to a single student. And so we would never have thought of that either. Have we not jumped in because that was all her professional feedback that we got to utilize and, you know, on what should we do? And so what the students because our project is still ongoing, it's now got its own part of our district website and, you know, it's moving to the other schools in the district. So it's become something that our community is going to have in place, um, which is amazing. And so it's still, you know, little things are happening, but the students see that things don't happen all at once. Like we can, we have year long goals, we have, you know, five year goals. And so what they in, in the end want to happen is they want to teach these, Um, elders at our facility how to use technology like they want all of them to be able to FaceTime their own family when they want to they want them if they love Kenny Rogers music to be able to go look at his concerts on YouTube you know that's what they want is for them to basically take that little confined room and you know change their environment and be able to choose what they want to watch, what they want to listen to, like the rest of America is doing. I mean, we're we want to hear a certain song, we hear that exact song. We don't just hear that genre of music and that's really where they want to get them to be. And they joke that they want them to have their own esports team. They want to be the first like elderly esports team in America because they're going to have such tech savvy, you know, residents. And so once we um when we started advancing, it was really Um, It was just kind of adorable that one of the students was like, now that we have this clout, I think we should ask the National Association of Activity Directors to meet with us. And it's just, you know, seeing students just suddenly like value themselves and their project is just, it's exactly what educators like want. You know, that's what we want is our students to suddenly feel like this is actually a big deal. Like this is really cool. And other people Like, I think they're going to want to hear about this. And so we contacted them and they were super excited about it. And, you know, they're helping on their side to basically pass this idea to different facilities to reach out to schools in their area. And our kids have made a starter pack for them, a starter pack for schools and just different. Things that they won't have to go through the same hurdles that we did. So things, te- there's the teacher pack. What does the teacher need to think about? The student pack. How do we get students involved? How do we get more volunteers? Um, how do we get a facility to want to participate? What do they need to think about? Which is definitely how are they going to access things? You know, um, but the activity director association, what they did that was so amazing is they know the brain health of that generation and so they started teaching the students um, and the team about what brain health is and what things you, they can do to just they're like you're not just having a conversation with them you are having a session like this is a therapeutic session and by using their name you're calling upon them to have to do something they're not just sitting watching tv they're having to listen, they're having to respond, and you're preventing dementia, the onset of dementia, by exercising these neural pathways because theirs they're is crystallizing while yours is fluid. And so that's when they really took like ownership and not just like – it wasn't just like – they already knew it wasn't just a conversation because these people would be so – just sad at the beginning. And at the end they're laughing and, you know, they're high-fiving the activity director and they visually got to see the difference they were making, which was good. But to know that they were actually like affecting this person's future and creating, like helping them not have an onset of a disease and helping their risk of stroke go down and their risk of heart attack go down by helping them not feel depressed. Like, I mean, then it became like, it was like their extra job. Like, I mean, I've had students coming from other classes wanting to do it. And people said, well, how did you get kids to want to talk to, you know, these old people? I'm like, I didn't have to like, that's what was so great is they saw it as important. Like, and that's what they would tell the students when someone wanted to do it. It was like, you had to sit down, you had to watch the training video. They made, you had to look at the documentation. Like, I mean, it was a lot of work for me. I'm not going to lie, but it was more facilitating meetings and like helping them if they were going to go down, you know, a very useless track is to help them go. All right, let's, let's just think about all of the details. Let's make a T chart, you know, things that let's make a matrix, you know, what kind of like, how can we make this, this, the right choice? You know, we've got to look at all the, the pros and cons. And so, you know, that it kind of evolved into so much more like, you know, than what we were initially going to do. I mean, it was initially just going to be this app that, you know, we did different activities and if someone wanted to talk one-on-one and in the end, that's not at all what we ended at. So, I mean, any teacher thinking about, you know, project-based learning just needs to remain flexible that, you know, your solution may not be at all what you're envisioning or what you're thinking that it's going to look like. I didn't think that I was going to be making mobile areas, you know, in you know the next room and I had students literally they would be in my closet they'd be in the teacher across the hall's closet they would be in the hallway because since it's Zoom they can't be on the same you know in the same room because of feedback and so it's like literally you'd come in and there's just you know we'd have eight sessions going on at one time there's a student on Zoom mission control who's sending people to breakout rooms while the activity director is logging different people on and so even if it was a one hour session in that session, we may have 20 conversations, you know, that got to happen in different sessions. And at each session, when they would, you know, talk about things, if someone says, well, I'm from New Orleans, or I grew up in New Orleans, then the next time that student has a session, they try to bring in technology, they try to say, well, let's look at Google Earth, and maybe we could see what school you went to. And so you're triggering all those old memories. And so that kind of, in the end, we started with, the isolation induced depression. But like in helping that, we were helping their brain health. And so it definitely made, the, it like solidified is what they say, because I already had STEM kids who were interested in STEM. But it solidified for them that this is where they need to be. You know, they didn't realize that this isn't something they were interested in. And none of them thought they were going to start high school and, you know, be spending hours talking to strangers, you know. And I mean, I had one one time that I mean, just that's what's so crazy about it is people have a certain like preconceived idea of this generation of 14 to 18 year olds that unless you're with them, you don't realize like just how, um, compassionate they can be when they want to, when they're choosing to be. And one student started talking to someone we in school at four or five, he started talking a session at three thirty, And, um, this one, everybody call, calls her the fairy godmother because she has an English accent and her background is, um, the Brooklyn bridge, but they said, I don't know. That's what they, that's what they refer to They're like, Brayden's so lucky he got the fairy godmother. And so she's so adorable and they talk forever. And they started talking the first time and I looked up and it was after school and we were working on the project after school. And I look up and it's four ten. the bell's already rung. The buses are about to leave. And Brayden's still because they're in different. Houses. Like I had forgotten that he was on there and he, even though the bell, he heard the bell And he kept talking and I'll pop in. I'm like, "Braden, you're going to miss the bus. And he's like, it's okay. I'll get my dad to pick me up. He talked to her till five o'clock. I mean, no one's making them have to do this. Like, that's what's so, you know, fun about doing a project like this, which I've never done one that was all of this science and compassion and empathy. You know, it's usually a lot more like program this and program that. And, you know, how can we stop flooding? What kind of detector and sensor can we use? So, I mean, I know i had a ton of growth being involved in this kind of project and really getting to kind of see just how, just how compassionate this generation is and how, you know, when they're talking about it, um, just how, and it's not just one or two kids, you know, other kids joining it. We're not even promoting and we have more kids that are just ready to go the first day of school next year, you know, to jump in. And these students are still doing it over summer. They made their own calendar. Like, it's just, that's what you want with a project is for them to take ownership of it. And so, um, so yeah, so that's kind of what our project is and how, how it happened, how it whole, the whole background of how, you know, the struggles we had along the way as well.
0: I love that. Autumn, thank you so so much for for taking the time to chat with us um and giving us a glimpse into your classroom, into your your previous military career, um and all the amazing work that you're doing. Um thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today.
1: Sure. Well, I would just really appreciate you, you know, having me on. I love project-based learning. I love the Samsung Solve for Tomorrow um, program. So I'm definitely, you know, happy to help any teacher that's interested in learning more. They are free to contact me. You know, I'm happy to help anyone because I think both, both things are amazing for any classroom and can definitely affect you as much as it affects your students. Perfect. Yeah. Well said. Uh, we'll we'll end it there. <laughs> okay. Great. Sorry. I um, I feel like I talked about our project too long, but.
0: Oh um. <laughs> uh, no! No no no! That that was amazing and and really inspiring and uh, insightful. Kind of giving us that that glimpse, peeling back, you know, the the layers of of what you know problem based learning means to you and your students and and in your classroom. So so thank you so much again. And enjoy a wonderful, hopefully restful, restorative summer break.
1: Yeah, I start um I start another training on Saturday, and it's STEM building um for guitars. So that's what my manufacturing class is gonna start. The Samsung prize money is gonna start several programs, and that's one of them. And so yeah, we're gonna be building guitars from scratch, CNC electric guitars. So I'm super pumped to to learn that training this summer and um, get that happening for next year. Awesome. Well, best of luck with that. Hopefully, at some point, you have like a beach or, or a lake somewhere. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm. We're definitely filling in all holes that we can, um, with as much fun as we possibly can.
0: <laughs> all right, that concludes our conversation with Autumn, who is a Samsung Soft for Tomorrow contest winner. If you are interested to learn more, we will include the link to the contest on our website and you can find it below. So thank you all and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the MindSpark
1: Learning podcast. For more information about MindSpark, visit our website at mindspark.org.